0: So, there's something that I haven't heard yet today, at least out loud. He is risen, he is risen indeed. We try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That is my favorite part about Easter. Um, today is Easter, which is the day of brightly colored floral dresses, candy, and Easter eggs. Right? It's Easter. Today is Easter, the day that we celebrate and recognize that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only died for our sins, but He rose from the dead. Amen? Amen. It's a day of celebration, my friends. He died on the cross bearing our sins that we might be forgiven of those sins, but He rose from the grave that we may know that He is God and that we may be given assurance of the eternal life that we have through Him. So once again, He is risen. Today I'm going to need you all to be a little bit imaginative. Uh, I'm going to be painting a picture for you. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to put you in the shoes of those closest to Jesus during his time, uh, during his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is a little bit unorthodox, and I know you're all surprised to hear that. (coughs) And the elders have no idea what I'm doing, so uh, my fault, not theirs. But this is a true story. And I'm going to attempt to, uh, rather than compel your minds, I want us to be compelled in, in spirit and even emotion. I know I'm usually the anti-emotion guy, but um, I'd like for us to, to be filled with joy at the fact of our risen Savior. This is a true story about Jesus Christ who died 2,000 years ago by crucifixion. Uh, crucifixion is, is a horrible, tormenting way to die, Uh, So I just want to warn everyone that uh, that's not a pretty sight, and I'm going to describe it in detail. Um, So I just wanted to give that warning ahead of time. There are some pictures on my PowerPoint from the movie The Passion of the Christ, which is uh, very hard to watch, but it's true. And I've just decided that as opposed to erring on the side of um, dumbing down the truth, uh, I'm going to attempt to give it fully. So without further ado... Someone hit the lights back there. Need my little light. And you guys don't need any. <clears throat> if I can get my buttons to work, we can get started. Ah, just turn it on. Yes sir. Okay. Hmm. Sam, any uh we good? Oh, cool. All right. So this is the disciple, the I'm sorry, the story of a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have been a disciple of Jesus Christ for nearly three years now. The first time you heard of him, you were told all sorts of things. Uh, That he was the greatest rabbi in all of Israel. That he was a prophet as in the old days. That he was the true heir of the throne of David. And you even heard whispers, hushed comments, that he might be the Messiah. Emmanuel, God with us. You were skeptical. Uh, This was not the first time that you had heard such ramblings. You knew that some people were quick to jump to such conclusions, and more than once a group had foolishly followed a man who made messianic claims. But this time it wasn't the radicals, the extremists, who seemed to flock to men who made outrageous claims. It was not these people who were telling you these things. It was men and women whose judgment you trusted. So you decided that you would find out for yourself. This man was like no other. He was strong, intense. He has a fierce love of God and scripture, but he was tender, loving, patient, kind. This was a man that you could trust, a man you could follow. You had studied the scriptures just like all the other Jewish children. But you had never quite excelled enough to be chosen as a disciple by any rabbi. So like many others, you went into the family's trade knowing that you could never be a follower of a great man. But this man, this man who you knew was different, he chose you. He called you to be his pupil, follower, disciple, even friend. You left everything behind, family, money, home, business, but no one blamed you for it. This was a great honor to be chosen by a rabbi as his follower. And then your life changed. You started putting the pieces together. You saw him heal the sick, the blind, the crippled. You saw him bring the dead back to life. You saw him calm a raging storm with a word from his mouth. You saw him walk upon water. Who could do such things? Who could command the very earth to still and the souls of men to be alive? Who but God? This man truly is the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The scriptures say it clearly. Isaiah 7.14, you remember, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And many testified, his own mother and brothers bore witness. He was born of a virgin. This is the Messiah. Come to save his people. But now, now you don't know what to think, how to feel. The whole world is falling apart before your eyes. Everything you hoped and dreamed and believed is dying before you. Because you are standing on a hillside outside the holy city of Jerusalem, watching violent, blasphemous men who have no knowledge of the true God, nail your Messiah to a plank of wood. They even beat him. You didn't witness it yourself, but you saw the results. He could barely stand when they brought him here. His back was in tatters, torn by the nine whips with pieces of glass and gravel tied to the ends they used to torture him. They forced a crown of thorns onto his brow, drawing blood. They beat him like a stray dog. The Lord of the heaven and earth, they treated like the scum of the earth. You look on as these Roman soldiers even enjoy their work. They make sport of it as the nails drive into Jesus' hands and feet. As the lifeblood from his body falls to the ground, scoffers, men and women of your own people laugh and mock Jesus. Don't they know? Don't they realize that this man has come for their sake? He was supposed to come and free us from bondage, wasn't he? He was supposed to declare himself king of the Jews and cast out this Roman scourge. You remember not too long ago, some of these Israelites, the same faces you see today, they were praising when Jesus was paraded into the city. These same people, they were cheering for him. It was a great day. That day you felt like all was right and good all was finally coming to pass the king of glory jesus god with us was riding upon a donkey into the holy city jerusalem people were laying down their coats and palm branches in the streets for him to ride upon you knew that this was just the beginning jesus finally coming to his kingship his rightful place as leader of his people he was going to free you from the bonds of the roman empire the very same day, he went into the temple and drove out the blasphemous tax collectors and money changers and merchants who were defiling it. It was so exciting. He had real power and authority. No one could stop him. But now, they were rising. They are raising his cross into place. You want to go to him, to help him. You can't stand this suffering. You just want to run. But you owe him this. You owe him your presence, at the very least. Even if the whole world were against him, you will stand here and give him your allegiance and love. The pain on his face, so terrible, it's too much to bear. But if he is bearing it, so can you watch. You remember he said this was going to happen, but you just didn't get it. Just yesterday you were reclining together with him and the others. You were celebrating Passover, a great festival of celebration. Surely this would be the time... Of his rising to the throne, but he seems so serious, even even forlorn. Two days before that he had said, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. And at the table he spoke of betrayal, and, and that you would even deny that you knew him. Then you were at the Mount of Olives. He wished to pray. You remember vividly how sad he looked, how disappointed when you fell asleep. And all he asked was for you to stay up and pray with him. He said to all of you, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. The words still confuse you. You don't have the the capacity right now to think about anything, though. That same night, his words of betrayal came to pass. Judas, one of your own, one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus, how could he? Even now, you don't know if you could see his face without... No. No, Jesus would not want that. You know what he would say. Just like that night when the crowd came for him with clubs and swords and torches, they were led by Judas and sent from the temple priests and leaders. And all Jesus said to him was, Friend, do what you have come for. Judas handed Jesus over to them. And one of of your own drew a sword and tried to protect Jesus. We all had the same idea. You wanted to save him. But Jesus rebuked you. He said, put your sword back into its place for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? That's what he would say now. That's what he would say to you if he knew the anger burning in your heart against Judas and the leaders of the temple. So you put it away. You must, out of respect for Jesus, your leader, your friend, who's dying before your eyes. His cross is placed between two thieves of all people. Their crosses bear the inscriptions of their crimes. But Jesus' inscription merely says, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, as if that were enough to execute him. Small comfort to you that the charge is true. The day passes on. Jesus is constantly trying to hold himself up for breath, for that is part of the agony and torture of the death of crucifixion, having to bear the excruciating pain of lifting your chest just enough to allow the lungs to inhale. His death is near now. You see that a great weight is upon him, even more than the pain of death, something else that agonizes him, but you don't don't understand it. A shadow falls overhead like a cloud, but all light is blotted out. A great blackness over the sun, an eclipse. Surely this is a sign of God in heaven and all of his creation mourning. The torture and execution of the most beloved and pure being on earth it is about the ninth hour. And you hear his voice. At first you think it's your imagination, but Jesus cries out, not just in a loud voice, but with a voice of one who bears the weight of the world and it's killing him. With the voice of one who torments every moment of breathing, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What are these words? What can they mean? You don't have time to consider it. Jesus is crying out, not with words, but in pain. You've never heard such an excruciating sound in all your life. Your heart breaks for the thousandth time. You don't even notice that you have fallen to your knees. You can't stop crying. You can't look away from him. And then he is silent. He lifts his body up slowly to breathe in fresh air. Then he closes his eyes. His body is loose. It has no life. Your Lord, your teacher, your friend has died. The earth shook. Everything is a blur now. You're only just aware that the trembling you feel is no longer your sobbing, it's the very ground you're kneeling upon. People around you are running, some are even screaming, but you just kneel in the dirt and gravel with your eyes upon him. You hear a man yell out, Truly, this was the Son of God. Too little, too late, you think, for the words came from one of the very Roman soldiers who nailed Jesus to the cross. you don't know how long you just knelt there minutes hours Jesus' body has been taken away and a guard is telling you to leave you're aware that another disciple is beside you leading you away but you don't respond you only stare unthinking unfeeling how could this happen what will you do now will you go back to your life fishing what's the point the night falls the next day you were told that a man named Joseph who's from Arimathea whom you only know by reputation has boldly gone to the Roman governor to claim Jesus' body for burial in his own family tomb. The sacrifice. You wish you had that much courage, for Joseph risked being marked a blasphemer by the temple and a criminal by the Romans just by asking. And they tell you that the Romans have stationed guards at Jesus' tomb. How much more humiliation must they hurl at your Lord? He is barely laid down and they have placed Roman guards at his tomb for what? To keep us from mourning? No, the others tell you. No, the temple priest had heard that Jesus claimed that he would rise from the dead. So to ensure that his followers don't steal away his body and then claim that he has risen, the Roman governor placed his personal imperial guards on duty. They even placed an imperial seal upon the stone which was rolled over the entrance. Outrageous! Pathetic! Why would they think for a moment that you would blaspheme the Lord in this way? But it does, just for a moment, remind you of the words of Jesus. He said, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it it down And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. But the next moment the thought was gone, and the morning returned. Some of the women with you wished to visit the tomb. You don't have the heart to tell them that there's very little chance they were going to be allowed anywhere near that tomb. The guards that were placed there were well known. We called them the custodians. These soldiers were not just average henchmen. They were trained to guard with ferocity. There would probably be at least 16 of them, four on duty, the rest sleeping, ready to challenge and fight anyone who approached. These men were not the type to ask first. They were prepared to fend off small armies single-handedly and had done it. You felt bad that you didn't warn the women, but maybe the women knew all this. But their faith is strong, and their love is ferocious. You wish you could share those feelings now. All you feel is pain and loss. Tomorrow they will go, for today is the Sabbath, the day of rest. But who can rest? Your body will recline, but your mind and spirit will be in agony. None of you know what to do next. A few have said words of hope and encouragement and faith, but you tune them out. The morning came. The women were already gone. You did the only thing that you could do. You spoke of the good times, of when Jesus baffled the Pharisees and the Sadducees, when he cast out demons and sent them into a flock of swine. Once Jesus even healed a man on the Sabbath to the great disdain of the leaders of the temple. They never got it. They never understood the reason, the lesson Jesus taught. How the Sabbath was not meant to be shackles on the people, but a blessing. But then a noise. Wait, you can't finish the thought. Because there are loud voices and rushing feet. Have the Romans come to arrest us all? Did they find out where we were? Did they find out we were followers? No, it is the women back from their visit to Jesus' tomb already. They were excited, joyful even, but you can't get them to calm down and tell you what they know. They keep saying something about an angel, a rock, Jesus, Jesus. They saw him, but that can't be. The guards, they would never let them in the tomb. No, they say outside the tomb, are they delirious? So they tell you their story. They were coming up to the side of the tomb. They were just going to look from afar. Because of the guards. But then something happened, a great crack and a movement of the earth, a blinding light like like lightning, white as a dove, bright as the sun. The guards, they screamed like infants, they say. The mighty custodian guards like infants. For an angel of the Lord had come. He rolled away the stone before the tomb as if it weighed nothing. And the guards just ran. The women were afraid. Who wouldn't be? He spoke to them. They said his voice, it was like the rolling of thunder and strength, but gentle in tone, like a mother soothing a child. He was beautiful and bright, but his eyes were intense, even dangerous. He stood like a man who had just won a great battle with joy and honor. This is what the angel said to them. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Risen? Our Savior, our Lord, Jesus, he is risen? This cannot be, you say, first to yourself, but then out loud. How can this be? We all saw. We saw him die. Wait, wait. If There is no more to the story. There, there has to be something. They have seen him? They saw Jesus in the flesh. One of them said she even touched him. He said the same thing that the angel said, that they should meet him in Galilee. But if Jesus is alive, all is not lost. All is one. Who could doubt now that this is the Messiah? But you must see him. You must go to him without any time to pack or get prepared. All of you leave for Galilee. Every moment of the journey is like a thousand moments. Your feet ache, your legs burn, but you don't care. You move without even taking notice of your own body. But after many hours, you start to think, what are we doing? We're traveling to Galilee, away from the real civilization in Jerusalem. On the word of these two women? Why wouldn't Jesus just show himself to one of us? You're starting to realize how foolish this quest was. You just want to stop, to rest, to tell the others the truth, that Jesus is dead. That hoping and praying on the delusion of too excited and over-emotional women, bless their hearts, will not bring the dead back to life. But you keep moving. If only to have something to do, have some goal for the moment to keep your mind off the impending gulf of misery that will wash over everyone. You already know that this is a fool's errand. It's only going to hurt more when... All of you arrive and wait for hours or days to find that Jesus isn't coming. But you don't have the heart, or maybe it's a lack of courage to tell the others. Then before you realize how far you had come, there it was, the exact place in the mountains where you were supposed to meet up with Jesus. A flood of renewed grief washes over you, like a cold, salty wave from the Dead Sea, filled with death and muck. You just want to disappear fall into a pit that falls forever, You just need to be somewhere else where you can't see the others grieve. Somebody is walking towards you. Another traveler? Did another follower of Jesus get here before the rest of you? One of the women whispers something excitedly, poor, frail woman. You want to be angry with her, but she meant well. We're just moments from the most powerful disappointment of our lives. Who is this person? He's not just walking by. Does he know us? Maybe he really is looking for Jesus also. He's just feet away, but the sun is in your eyes, and the sweat from your brow is blinding you. You realize that you are the only one standing. The others have fallen to their knees. They are saying words, loud words, happy words, joyful words, but you can't hear them. You can't hear anything. You see. See the man before your eyes. Jesus has risen. He stands before you, your friend, your Lord, your Savior. You fall to your knees with a cry of elation. You have a moment of deja vu. Here you are kneeling before your Savior, just like three days ago, with tears streaming down your cheeks, with gravel rubbing your knees raw. But this time, it is not a dying and dead Lord with blood dripping down his body. This is Jesus alive, alive for all time, alive, alive. He has risen from the grave. Jesus speaks. His voice is like the wind in the sails of your small boat on a calm day, like the thunder breaking over the sea, like the very power of nature and creation and the love of your closest and dearest friend. He says to you, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples for all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." The days after are the best days of your life. Jesus comes to all of you several times. And on the final meeting, you witness Jesus ascending into the clouds in all his glory and majesty. It's a sad day, but a glorious day. For you trust Jesus' words. He will be with you always. Peter is speaking now to a crowd of Jews, Jews outside the temple. It's been weeks. So much has happened. So much has changed. You understand so much more now. You know that Jesus is God indeed, that he even now is sitting at the right hand of God, flesh and blood, but also fully God. You understand why all of it happened. Jesus gave himself up. He had all the power and strength to defeat his enemies and come down off the cross, but he didn't. He chose to die as a sacrifice. For now you understand that Jesus did not die because the priest wanted him to or because the Romans are cruel and merciless. Jesus died because he bore the sins of the world of every human who is, has been, and will be. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to. For the penalty of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus took all the sins upon himself and died as your substitute. Peter speaks strong words. He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by hands, the hands of godless men, and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. Many were saved that day. 3,000 men and women accepted that they were sinners, that the penalty for sin is not just physical death, but eternal death in hell. They accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made by dying for their sins so that they wouldn't have to. They heard the truth, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And if there is anyone here today hearing this message uh, who has not believed and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, I invite you to talk to myself, uh, anyone else who's part of this church, maybe the person who invited you here. Consider that this is not just a really great, intense, epic story, that this is true. Uh, Consider that this might be the most important decision of your entire life. To believe that this might be true and to pursue that. Let us be joyful today for our Savior is risen. Someone hit the lights.